0: What we have sown Lost and afraid Whole. Squandering all life's treasures, pleasure our only guest, dangerously close in all our chaos bolstered by satan's lies shining yet always us in and away from sin Jesus will bring us home Life is a stress, Jesus through all has been with me, there by my side.
1: Hello, my name is Hal Brady, and I want to welcome you to this ministry. I trust it will be a blessing to you and yours. Thank you for watching. Now would you please listen as I read the scripture, 1 Corinthians 16, beginning at verse 5. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I do not want to see you now just in passing, for I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me please for a word of prayer? Oh God, we thank you for this day and this time together. We thank you for your word, and we pray that you would bless this word and that we would be able to hear and understand in a fresh and new way. Amen. I want to begin today by sharing with you four statements which I feel represent the thinking of countless numbers concerning the modern church. The first statement undoubtedly was spoken by a discouraged servant of the church. This person said, the church is like a referee in an athletic contest who has swallowed his whistle and cannot direct the game or stop the game. The second statement was made by a candidate for the Office of the Episcopacy of the United Methodist Church. He said, we have good theology, good worship, and he said, we have good inclusiveness. But we've lost our passion. We've lost our sense of urgency. The third statement was made by a woman in a local church. She was describing her worship service. She said, I kept waiting for the casket to come down the aisle. And the fourth statement was made by a friend who said to me, do you think the church will even be around in its present form in the middle of the 21st century? Now all of this, I say all of this, represents the church in retreat. The question desperately needing to be raised in this hour is when will the retreat stop? This question was put very well by a concert violinist by the name of Old Bull when he was asked to go to friend with the church. He said, I will go to church with you on one condition, that you take me to hear someone who will tempt me to the impossible. When will the modern church move out of the midnight hour and tempt this world of ours to the impossible? There are evidences that the church is waking up. A few years ago, I was in Varna, Bulgaria with the executive committee of the World Methodist Council. The Methodist church in Varna was 150 years old, but it had been closed for the last 30 years. The communists had turned the church into a mariner's show, and had run off all the preachers and imprisoned them. Now, when we were there, the church had just been reopened a year and a half. The sanctuary was so crowded you couldn't get the people in there. The Sunday school was so big they had to meet out in the yard. Now, we saw the plans for a new church. As a matter of fact, the groundbreaking occurred while we were there. The pastor of that church spoke to the World Methodist Council, and he said, you know, our people are full of optimism. And he said, they're full of optimism because God is with us. If God be for us, who can be against us? This was the spirit of Paul in Ephesus. Who could possibly imagine that in the midst of all of that opposition and paganism, a single Jew with a Christ-inspired vision was going to challenge Ephesus to become Christian. This was paganistic, secularistic, humanistic Ephesus. With not a single church in it, with all that way out thinking, and yet this single Jew with a Christ-like vision was going to challenge Ephesus to become Christian. Now, when will the modern church move out of the midnight hour, stop the retreat, and tempt this world of ours to the impossible? To this end, the modern church singing at midnight, I want us to offer you a few suggestions. First of all, the church singing at midnight will refocus on Jesus Christ as the center of its certainty. The Apostle Paul said, I know whom I have believed. Whom is the object of false belief, not what? Whom is the arresting word? Howard Eddington, former pastor of Orlando First Presbyterian Church, said his grandfather was right. He said things will either change or disappear. He was right because four years later, grandfather himself died of cancer. The family that used to be in one spot was now living in Texas, North Carolina, Florida, and New Hampshire. And even the old home place at 1305 Dauphin Street was no more. Yes, grandfather was right. Things will either change or disappear. But then he said, but Jesus never will. But Jesus never will. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to remind you of something better than a cause. It is love for and loyalty to a person, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, why should we in the church always start again with Jesus? There are two reasons. First, new life has always begun in the past when the church became sensitive and new to Jesus. Let me give you a few examples. In the 13th century, Francis of Assisi courageously withstood the opposition of the papacy to call the church back to a consideration of the example of Jesus. He tried to live as Jesus lived and to love as Jesus loved, and many historians say it was his life and work that paved the way for the Protestant Reformation. 300 years later the church came to one of its darkest hours. The institution became politically corrupt. It was in horrible shape. A man named Ignatius Loyola turned away from inherited wealth and influence in Spain to call the church back to New Testament faith. His movement brought new power to a decadent institution. When we think of Martin Luther, we think of such doctrines as justification by faith and freedom of the Christian man. Few of us remember that his call was not simply a return to the Bible, but a return to Jesus. And then there was our own John Wesley, who was confronted by a church that was steeped in ritualism and form. Its cathedrals were impressive, but they were spiritually barren. So what did he do? He preached Jesus Christ and Christian discipleship. And you know the result. It was a nation saved and a Methodist church. And then the second reason that we should always start anew with Jesus is changed human lives. We cannot get around changed human lives. Years ago, I had the opportunity of having the prayer at the kick-off-the-polio drive in the state of Georgia. They had me seated up there next to Dr. Jacob Brunowski, who was a fellow at Salt Institute, one of the great scientists of the world. What was I going to say to one of the great scientists of the world? It took me half the meal to get up the courage to say anything. Finally, I said, Dr. Brunowski, wasn't that marvelous what they did in South Africa, transplanting that heart and all? He looked at me and he said, do you really think so? I said, yes, sir, don't you? He said, preacher, what the world needs is not a new heart, but a change of heart. When we're dealing with Saul on the road to Damascus, we're not dealing in the realm of the speculative. Saul said it was the living Christ who had changed his life. And if you want to argue with Paul, we see the fact of a permanent change in his character, a change that was so radical that it produced many churches and some of the finest literature in the history of the world. I have a friend who was with us in Jerusalem. He described a man who was converted in South America. This man was a cowboy. He wore guns and chaps and spurs and all of that. He was invited to go to church by a farmer. Well, while he was in the church with his six guns and all, he heard a message of the gospel and his life was changed. And so he said later, You know, I don't wear my six guns anymore, but I'm more dangerous than ever. You know, I like that. And there was a superintendent around that table when that story was told. He said, I was not a bandit, I was a hooligan. but Jesus Christ changed my life as well. Now, how did I get on the inside of this story of God's grace? I can only speak for me. I didn't have the answer to life. I didn't know what I was here for. I didn't know what to do with my wrongs. But then by word and example, I saw what Christ was doing for other people, and I felt like he could do the same for me. He has and he is. The church singing at midnight will refocus on Jesus Christ as the center of its certainty. And then secondly, the church singing at midnight will saturate itself with prayer. We're told that just prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, the disciples were gathered together in prayer. Prayer was their priority. You know, sometimes prayer becomes our preamble. It is something to lead to something else. But in their case, prayer was that something else. Years ago, a hundred of us from the World Methodist Council went to Tallinn, Estonia. We went there to help them break ground for the new Baltic seminary, as I said, in Tallinn, Estonia. These people were going to have a gigantic celebration. They had been under communist domination from 1940 until 1990. So they were going to have a celebration with 17 speakers. They were also going to have music and prayer. Well, it was the coldest day I've ever experienced in my life. And during the ceremony, some of the people from the World Methodist Council began to go back to the buses. It was so cold. And to be honest with you, I thought I might do the same thing. But just as I got ready to go back to the bus, I turned to this fellow and whispered, I am so cold. But he whispered back when they asked those students in the seminary why they were there. More than half of them said, because of my grandmother's prayer. And then he said, "Look around. He showed me some of these women there with their bare heads. They had to be the grandmothers." And then he said, "I'm just pleased to be standing among the grandmothers. You couldn't have got me out of there with a bulldozer after that." With tears in my eyes, I too was just pleased to be standing among the grandmothers. William Home Borders. He used to be the pastor of the Wheat Street Baptist Church in Atlanta. On Sunday morning, he would pray before the worship services, Lord, let something happen today that's not in the bulletin. What if we pray that prayer? God might bless us with untold blessings that we can't even imagine. John Haggai of Haggai Institute said, when you rely upon organization, you get what organization can do. When you rely upon music, you get what music can do. When you rely upon preaching, you get what preaching can do. But when you rely upon prayer, you get what God can do. The church singing at midnight will saturate itself with prayer. And then the church singing at midnight will march under the banner of the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is the answer for personal needs. But the kingdom of God is the blueprint for what the church should be and do in our society. After we have preached and taught Jesus Christ, we must communicate the excitement and the adventure of the kingdom of God. In other words, it is said years ago that the early church lived by the majesty of its beliefs. Oh, I love that. That church continued to see the infinite worth of human souls and the imperishable value of human life. That church looked out on the world through the eyes of Christ. Consequently, it was never flowing a racial or a national flag. Living by the majesty of our beliefs. I absolutely love that. You know, our beliefs. This is the kingdom of God. That God is the God of all humankind and the omnipotent ruler of this universe. That Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God and the Savior of humankind and races. That the kingdom of righteousness and justice and peace is to be built here in this world. That the Christian church is the clearest continuing evidence of Christian faith across the centuries. And the church is called to be a sign of the kingdom's presence. You know, I'm from LaGrange, Georgia. And there was a little lady in my town by the name of Ethel Young. Every Sunday for 25 years, she went to the city county jail to teach the prisoners that Sunday school lesson. She never missed for 25 years. And then she got sick. It didn't matter whether those criminals were major criminals or just minor criminals black or white or whatever every sunday she was there but then she got sick and she showed me a card she received much like the cards that we would send her received and when i opened it up written in the messiest handwriting i've ever seen with these words thank you very much your boys at the city county jail that's the kingdom of god gert Bahana, whose book the late liz has been made into a movie Divorced three times. She was an alcoholic. She tried to commit suicide. By the age of 50, she was converted to Christ. And then she went around the country telling people about Jesus. And literally thousands of people were converted because of Gert Fahanna. Not long before she died, somebody said, Hey, Gert, what you been doing lately? She said, Well, you know, I travel around, have to go into those dirty gas station restrooms. She said to go into most of them, you got to wear a pair of galoshes. She said, One day I was in there. And I heard God say to me, Hey, Gert, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And I said, Lord, you mean you use these restrooms too? When I realized Jesus was going to be the next person in that restroom, she said, You you better know it made a difference. I started picking up all the towels on the floor. I pulled out a clean towel and wiped off the mirror. And oh, yes, I wiped off that seat. And then I said, Well, there it is, Lord. I hope you enjoy it. That's what... Christianity is all about. No trumpets, no fanfare, no publicity, just doing whatever it takes to make life better for those coming behind us. Somebody said there are two great days in a person's life. The day that person is born and the day that person discovers why. The church singing at midnight will march under the banner of the kingdom of God. And then the church singing at midnight will read above an aggressive attitude. A doctor had a very authoritarian secretary a man went in to see the secretary. He had a headache. So he went up to the lady and said, Listen, ma'am, I've got a headache. Can I see the doctor? She said, Get in that room, close the door, get on the table and pull the sheet up. He said, i just got a headache. Get in that room, close the door, get on the table and pull the sheet up. Well, what do you do? She said, Get in that room, close the door, get on the table and pull the sheet up. Well, he went down. He got in the room, he closed the door. He was getting up on the table. And when he leaned back, he saw a fellow beside him and turned at this and said, All this and i just got a headache. The other fellow looked at him and said, That ain't nothing. I just came in here to read the meter. I think you would have to say that that secretary truly was an authoritarian person. What is an aggressive attitude? An aggressive attitude is an attitude alert to opportunity. It's what Paul said when he was talking about being in Ephesus, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work is open to me. And then, as a sort of second thought, he said, and there are many adversaries you know I think the church could learn something not only from the church and people can learn something not only from the church but from the man of La Mancha you remember Don Quixote he had a touch of madness he saw things as they ought to be not as they were but as they ought to be he saw a little one-time part-time prostitute hotel maid named Aldonza and he saw what she could become and he changed her, Dulzinea, a new life. What was it Paul said? He said, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries. If only the church could see 20th century problems as they really need to be seen. We're talking about racism and poverty and war and all of those things. If only the church could see them as they really are, a great opportunity and a wide door for effective ministry. Such is the need for an aggressive attitude. There was a preacher walking down his Sunday school rooms one day and he happened to pass the children's room and he saw this little church. You know, they probably use it to take up offerings. But he picked it up and he was looking at it and when he did a little boy looked at him and said, Be careful, mister you've got our church in your hands. A wide door for effective work is open to me and there are many adversaries. Paul was talking about Ephesus this wild, ungodly place. Will the church sing again at midnight? Be careful, beloved. you got our church in your hands. Let us pray. Oh God, how grateful we are for the church. How grateful we are for our part in it. We ask, oh God, that you would continue to bless all churches, that you would bless the leadership, that you would bless others, whatever they may be doing and wherever they are, that they may continue to serve you in a masterful way. Hear our prayer in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so very much for joining us today. I hope you will take the time to invite others to join us on Thursday nights from 8 to 8.30 on the AIB channel. God bless you and yours.
0: I found in him a friend so strong and true. and you are watch... sure